What is going on, guys? Thanks for checking out another podcast. We've been gone for a little while. I want to apologize for um, being a little MIA, but we have uh, been going through a big life change. We've moved. Um, we had a big family vacation and had a lot of projects at the house, and it was just a time I, I didn't really have the time for the podcast. I, I, I wasn't putting it to, to rest forever, but I needed to just take a little break and focus on on getting everything here at the house done. Um, we're building a big shop in the backyard for the new Eastern current Eastern angling headquarters and going to have a, a new podcast office back there, which is going to be sweet. A um, lot of uh, exciting things in the future to come for Eastern current and Eastern angling. Um, but excited to be back. And I do thank y'all um, for clicking on this podcast to check it out. Uh, I thank y'all for your patience on this podcast episode, as I know a lot of y'all have been waiting for it. Um, but we are, we are back and strong as ever, and we're going to be, be coming back at you very consistently, um, like we have in the past. Um, but before we get too far into this, I do want to talk about, um, our sponsor for this podcast. We have two, uh, and one, I'm going to drop it in here. Like I always do is J and J boat services. So they're a full service detail, um, on the water, off the water at your house. Uh, just incredible work. They've detailed both my boats very quickly, very, very, uh, in depth, really, really good. Um, job, they've done a great job detailing the boats and, um, I do not clean my boats like I should. I do clean my boats, but, um, the, the added work that they put in really makes it easy for me to just come home, spray the boat off, put it in the garage, park it in the driveway and it's good to go. Um, but we do have a code for those of y'all listening that can't see this little, um, image that I've pulled up. And it's EC2022 if you call them or email them. Uh, and that's going to be 10% off your first um, boat detail with them. So just give them a call. It's, you know, summer's almost here. And it's a great time to get that boat cleaned up and ready to go for next year. Or for not for next year, but it'll be, you might want to do it again before the following year, but for, for this year. Um, and let's see, let me exit out of here. And then also, uh, we've got a new podcast sponsor. Uh, it's TNL Table Company. Uh, they have built us an incredible podcast table that's in my garage. It's going to go into our new podcast space. And we have, I'm actually sitting here. I can't show y'all, um, because I'm sitting on the table or at the table, but, but a beautiful dining room table for us. Um, he's out of Swansburg, North Carolina, really any type of like really nice custom woodwork that you need done. Uh, he can get it done for you. Uh, definitely go check him out. I'll have J and J as well as, TNL uh, linked in all of the show notes and descriptions for the podcast and on YouTube and all that. So you can find them easily there, but guys, thank y'all so much for being a part of the Eastern current family. We're excited to be back. Um, we're we've, we've missed y'all. We've missed creating content and um, we, I see that as a big part of my business and my life moving forward. So we're not going anywhere. We're excited to be here, but we're going to, we're going to go ahead and bring on our super special guest all the way, all the way here from, Wilmington, Cameron Pappas. What's up, man? Not too much. Thank you for uh, for bringing it back to life with me, a little Eastern Current podcast. Yeah, happy to. Like the old days. Like the old days. I, for a second, I thought you had a bigger shirt and hat on. I just noticed right <laughs> when I started talking to you. No, just the shirt. You're such a local boy though, with a bigger shirt and Bald Head Island hat on. <laughs> you're uh, you're a Wilmington yeah. Wilmingtonite, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it right gotta rip your hometown i guess have you uh you were you've been kind of all over town are you excited to be back and get back into the pattern of fishing and uh 
living in Wilmington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. It um, uh, we were just talking a little bit before about how you leave town for a handful of weeks and come back and you're like, wow. You know, I complain about this place every once in a while, but it really is an awesome place to live. It is an awesome place to live. Yeah. Um, no, it's so easy to, to always think the grass is greener to, to wish you lived somewhere else, but we live in such a cool place. It's such a cool state, man. I was just up in Asheville for my nephew's birthday. Not birthday. Bachelor party. <laughs> and uh, just so cool. We were in like Burnsville, North Carolina, which I'd never been to before, kind of near Mount Mitchell. We were playing some golf and doing a little bit of trout fishing. And it was just beautiful. And just be like, the only thing that would make it better is if that was on the coast. Like if you had the <laughs> mountains on the coast, like you do in other states. Um, it seems so far-fetched of a thought here in North Carolina, but so many other states have that. Um, but, and I, you know, it, it's crazy. Isn't it Costa Rica that you can like, tra- aren't there trout on the streams in Costa Rica? Have you ever heard of that? Uh, I don't know. It'd be pretty cool. be cool to be able to trout fish and redfish in the same day, like 45 minutes apart. Oh, my God. Yeah. uh, When you find that place, let me know. I'll let you know. Actually, I might not let you know. I might just keep it to myself. (laughs) Secret. That's uh, North Myrtle Beach. It's called North Myrtle Beach. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we want to talk to y'all. I mean, we've been gone for a little while here on the podcast, um, but we're into a new season. We're into what I'd call kind of late spring, early summer. We're not like full-blown summer patterns yet. The the finger mullen aren't here in full force yet, but... You know, some of our, our states south of us, Georgia, and even the southern part of South Carolina, and, and up into like Charleston and a little bit further north in, in South Carolina, um, are starting to see those little bits of pushes of finger mullet and, and maybe a little bit more of a summer pattern. But um, I would still call it spring, late spring. You know, our mahi fishing off the beach is really good right now. I always think of that as a spring thing. Um, we're not into that full-blown, just super warm water everywhere. But it's a really good time of year, like these shoulder seasons, spring and fall, um, bringing us into summer, leave, taking us away from winter. They always seem to be pr- productive. They're, they're times of transition. They're times of, of migratory fish. And so there's always a lot happening, a lot changing. Keeps you on your toes. Some seasons I'm like, man, spring's all, late spring's awesome. Early summer's awesome. Some seasons I'm like, oh, I hate this time of year. I just want consistency. Um, what have you, what's been kind of your take on this spring so far here in the part of North Carolina that you've been fishing, what do you feel like has been good? What do you feel like has been lacking? Um, kind of, kind of take me through your overview of this late or like early to late spring, early to early, late spring, to early summer. Yeah. Um, I would say late spring was a little bit different than late springs historically, at least for me. And specifically for redfish, like years past, I feel like there was a lot, um, still a lot of lingering schools around. Yeah. Um, and this year, and, it, and it's kind of weird because I didn't, I don't feel like it got hot like really fast. It was, it seemed to kind of be like a normal gradual temperature increase. Yep. Um, but this year, it, it didn't seem like there was a lot of uh, lingering schools around like groups of, you know, 50 to 60 to, to 70. Right, even. right. Right. Um, and it seemed like they got in their summer patterns like really quickly, uh, which was, uh, I would say definitely challenging. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if you see that starting to happen, you, 
the light kind of light bulb kind of went off in my head and said, okay, now it's time to start doing this. Right. Right. And looking for them in, in these places, more summer pattern stuff like, like, uh, belly crawlers and tailors and, and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, unfortunately it wasn't the, the spring that like we had last year, which you had lingering schools probably up until now, <laughs> or, yeah, up until now. Um, Whereas now you're you're almost already, uh, and maybe this is just me, uh, but already fishing to really small groups like yeah. groups of five, groups of six, in in a lot of singles. Yeah, for sure. And it might be a, lar- a larger overall group in a zone, but you're getting lots of shots at those fish broken up throughout you know a section of marsh that originally they had been in that same exact section of marsh, but all grouped up together. Um, yeah. yeah, it was tough, man. But I will say the one nice thing about a season moving into a season and expecting one thing, but having not not achieving the success or the finding the amount of fish that you thought you would, it pushed us. And me and Cameron scout together a lot. We'd network. I mean, I would say he's Cameron, Jeff, Michael. We're all in a in a group of people that share all our information, and so it's that's a very important thing. We can look at a lot of water and I, I, like I've said on this podcast many times before, I think it's probably one of the most important tools is having a good network of guys that you trust. Um, but we looked at a lot of stuff that we haven't really spent much time looking at in this winter and early spring to late spring and found a bunch of cool stuff, found some new fish and unfortunately nothing that we ever found. We found lots of new groups of fish, lots of areas and nothing ever stuck for more than like a week. So it was like just keeping us looking and looking and looking, but um, we stayed on the fish, but we definitely had to really work for it. You know, this, sometimes it can be the type of year, time of year that you can be a little lazy that, uh, winter to late spring, but it, you haven't been able to be very lazy this, this year. You've had to really put a lot of effort into it. Um, it's been, you, you, it's been good. You and I have talked about this a little bit. I mean, in, in years past, you definitely have days that are kind of gimmies. Yeah. Like we're, like you said, you don't really have to try too hard. As long as no one's in your spots, you're good. Yeah, as long as no one's in your spot, you're good to go and you're going to have a good day. Um, but even then, like, it, there was, of course, there were schools in certain spots. But one, the schools weren't as big. And two, they were, like, way pickier than usual. Insanely um, picky. Insanely picky. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, that's a good thing because it, it really makes you – uh, have to find new stuff, explore new territory, and um, and kind of just figure it out. Which I think in the in the long run, there's always going to be years like this, right? right? Um, this isn't the first year by any means where we've had uh, a tougher than normal spring. Um, but it, you know, in the in the long run, it makes you a better angler overall. And, uh, definitely make you find some new baits that you like. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, the other thing too, is it's not like it felt like there was that much of a shortage of fish. It just felt like they were changing where they were so often and they were pissed off all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, I'm sure this happened to you as well, but there was multiple times where I'd find a school like 200 plus redfish and get the fishing for like one or two days, and then, and that's not hammering them. Yeah. Like going in yeah. catching maybe three, and, and then leaving them alone, and then going back, and they're either completely gone, or it's like the school's gone from 200 to 50. Right, right. It, it, a lot of changing, a lot of mobile fish, but, uh, and, and we are still 
seeing some of those same groups of fish that we were through the winter or fish schooled up in the same zones. But um, for the most part, a lot of changing. I mean, fishing all over the place. But like I said, that those are always the times of year that you learn and you, or the, the seasons that you learn and you grow a lot in, mm-hmm. in the type of fishermen you are and where you're actually fishing. You know, and, and there's a lot of people that are, you know, very wrapped up in territories and zones and like, I'm not going to, but I'm going to go for, for my business and for my clients, I'm going to go fish wherever I need to fish to find fish. I don't believe in zones or owning water. If you, if I put the time on the water and find it, or if someone in my network that, you know, if we, if we put the time in and we find a spot, you know, we, we have the right to fish that whether it's, you know, North or South of where we normally like to fish or normally are seen fishing. Uh, if you you know if you put the time in to find fish, go at them. You know that's how I feel about it. So, thank you. I agree. Um, well, looking ahead to this season, the spring, the summer, um, what what are some of the things you're looking forward to? Uh, man, top water. I'm a, a. If anyone's listened to me on any of these podcasts before, they know that I very much enjoy top water. Almost more so than I I like catching them on a fly rod. Um, just because it's there's nothing more fun than you know maybe throwing out 50 casts on a top liner and you're like oh man today's gonna be slow and then all of a sudden you one just smashes your top water and you're yeah, like it's right, fun here it we is go. fun <laughs> so have have over the winter into the spring have you found any I keep talking about this, this time of year I'm talking about <laughs> I don't know why I keep bringing it up I'll try not to anymore because I'm I'm sure y'all know at this point. Have you stumbled upon any new topwater baits that you like that you're fishing, any colors or anything like that? You, you have started painting some topwaters. Do you have any of those around you? <laughs> well, I do have some, but I haven't been able to um, to clear cut them yet. Gotcha. But yeah, I, I need to replace the gun that you gave me, the uh, airbrush, because I think something's wrong with it. Yeah, I might that- I might owe you an airbrush. No, I don't think you broke it. I think it was just already doing that. Every airbrush I've had, I really think it's the air compressor, man. Yeah, it might be. It very well might be. It's a little small. Um, but yeah, no, I, I painted like four or five before it um, before it kind of uh, died off. But yeah, I mean, I, I was mainly going to paint some for, for some of the guys going up to um, – the Roanoke for stripers and whatnot and just give them to them to test out and see if they worked. But, um, I think overall for me, there's like two or three colors that I really like. Yeah. And, um, and the models that I get those in are generally the she dog, um, the, uh, one knocker and the top dog, the junior top dog. Uh, and, in the colors that I like are pink, orange, and white. Um, I think it's really hard to go with like uh, orange and black um, in dirty water, like like tannic stained water. Kind of river estuary water type of deal. Riverish water. Uh, white I think kind of works in either clear water and a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, it can white just in general is a color that just tends to work no matter what the water clarity is. Agreed. Um, and then what I say pink? Yeah, pink. Pink I like. I don't use it a ton in really dirty water. I've I've had really good days on it in clear water or like milky yeah. kind of 
like greenish water. Um, and I've had good dates on it in like not not really tannic water, but not really the clear water. Okay. Just kind of the in, that in between water. Um, gotcha. But I, I, you know, I think pink is just a it's just a good color overall. I think it would work just fine in muddy water. I just tend to throw something that has a little bit of gold on it. Yeah. When I'm like river water. I'm with you on that. Pink, pink's a color. I get, I mean, I throw it sometimes, but man, I, I don't, I don't pick it up enough. And I, I oftentimes I'm fishing with you or Mike or Jeff, I've got a pink top water on and it's a good color, man. I think it resembles the water that it's in real well. Kind of like a white it takes mm-hmm. a, takes a tone, takes tone. I don't even know how to explain this, but it, <laughs> it takes a similar tone to the watercolor that it's in based off of the sun and the color. Um, just notice that through, through some video and stuff like that, that I've, that I've taken of topwater plugs, but man, it's a, it's, it's fun. I do really enjoy the topwater. I'm going to have to, I'm with you. I like topwater fishing, but something about sight fishing, what, like something yeah. about, it doesn't have to be a fly rod. It doesn't have to be a spinner. I don't care what it is, but it can be a topwater but something about just sliding that bait across a redfish's nose and whack, just watching them pop it. I cannot get enough of that, especially yeah, with the topwater. I'm with you. And Michael is one of those dudes who like will will sight fish with the topwater so much, and I'm always like nervous, dude. I'm scared to do it. I can't do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. It'll work sometimes, but man, and I mean, he makes it work. He freaking makes it work. And he caught a striper behind Lee Island the other day on the topwater plug, <laughs> throwing it at some redfish, and so that was that was pretty crazy. But, um. I, the thing that I love about topwater is one, it's not like it's a little less pressure. Like, especially if you're taking someone fishing, it's a little less like, oh man, I need to find them. I need to find them. Where are they at? Where are they at? And you're just like, that grass point looks good. Yeah. <laughs> that grass point looks good. And we'll just mosey along and hit all these points. Um, but the, there is something really satisfying about you get to like, somewhere that just looks amazing and you're like oh man there's definitely gonna be one there yeah for and sure throw it there and then all of a sudden it gets blown up and you're like dad i knew it so tell me this what would be your main feature you're looking for to throw a topwater at besides a redfish itself um i would say bays are what i what I start with. Okay. Uh, and then once I'm, once I'm in some sort of bay or a more open body of water, a bay um, being like a big open body of water, maybe a cove or cove, maybe some type of area. That's not like high current flow. Maybe. Right. 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 Okay. Um, it could be the side of an Island. It could be, you know, anywhere. Yeah. This is, is a little more open. I don't, I don't have a ton of luck. Um, throwing top waters in like little creeks for right, instance. Right. Uh, but what I, what I like to look for is points because points generally will have oysters on them and uh, redfish, trout, what have you, any sort of predatory fish likes to hide behind structure Yeah. because it's easier way for them to uh, attack whatever they're going to be eating. Um, so, so generally speaking, grass points are a good spot to to throw your topwater across and then bring it back. You don't really want to land it. At, like ideally, you wouldn't want to land it right on the point, 
because if that's where they're sitting, you just landed your top water right on top of them. Very good chance you might spook them. Throwing it like 10 feet past a point and then dragging it past the point for me has generally worked best. Um, and then when there is points, a lot of times there's also this little scalloped out base. Right, right. Which is another good place for them to be. I'll work for sure. The whole, I'll work the whole edge of that bay. And then a spot that I always get excited about is if one of those bays has a little bit of not real thick marsh grass, um, but more kind of broken up marsh grass. And sometimes you can get your topwater in that grass and snake it through there without it getting too caught up. Yeah. A lot of fish just thrown into some of that sparse grass. Most definitely. Out. Yeah, it's it's nice when you can pull into a spot where you can get a long cast and keep it in a productive zone for like a long period of time. I think that's what you get out of those points and those bays and those scalloped coves. Just like just a longer retrieve in the strike zone. If that makes sense. You get in those little creeks. I think it could happen in there too. I mean, I've caught redfish in little creeks, but like you're saying, not like you do in the bays. It's you're just you're that depth's correct. That bottom you know contour and structure is correct for maybe a longer stretch. You're mm-hmm. having more productive casts. And that's what you're always looking for, blind casting. is an yeah. area where you can keep, if you're going to make a blind cast, I want to keep that bait in an area that a fish could be in for a long period of time. Like blind casting. if I The best blind casting this summer, man, is like a topwater or a spinnerbait. If I can get in like a big bay with that flooded grass but pull right beside it mm-hmm. and have that one angler throwing. If they can cast and the wind's not bad, just bringing that bait a foot off the grass the whole way back to you all the way back at a, at a higher time, man. That's, I've had some, some yeah. silly days. So many predatory fish will put themselves right on. That's like a highway for bait to travel. You know, they get on the edge of that grass. So yeah, because, uh, especially that the grass that's a little more open, if you've ever, uh, like motored up close to it or, or pulled through it on a higher tide, that's where all a lot of bait goes. Yep. They all are going into the grass to, to hide and <laughs> to be safe and get away from. Definitely. Even the redfish are hiding in there sometimes. Dolphins yeah. and boats and sharks and whatnot. Exactly. So um, kind of have the best of both worlds there. The bait's there as well as. When they can uh, hide with their food source. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those redfish, that's red. Definitely. 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 If you're not throwing a topwater in the summer, you're out there blind casting. What's another bait that you find yourself gravitating towards? Uh, you mentioned it a little earlier. Definitely a spinnerbait. You're a big popping cork guy, though, too, aren't you? In those same kind of conditions. I do, li- I do like if you're blind cork. casting. I used to like it when I was blind casting, um, but after I don't know. After some period of time, I was like, man, you can't really. It's hard to cover a lot of ground. You got to work a little slower. You got to work it slower. If I know, this is what I like to do. If I know an area where, um, let's say it's summer, I've had this one 300-yard stretch of bank that I've had multiple blow-ups on in the summer on a topwater early in the morning. If it's like mid-morning and I feel like the topwater bite's going to start kind of turning off, I'll throw a popping cork. Gotcha. I don't, I don't love prospecting with you want to put it in a zone that's already 50% productive. Yeah, you want to, you, I, I feel like I, I want to have some confidence that there is some fish there or there has been some fish there before I start throwing a popping cork. Not to say it's not, it, it is a good just blind casting thing to do. 
right. <laughs> because loud, it gets their attention, and it, it, if they're not hitting on the surface anymore, you got the perfect little, you know, voodoo shrimp sitting two feet under the surface. Yeah. Um, and you can, I like to scent that thing up, <laughs> make, make it a little. What jelly flavor bit. do you like? I just put the uh, the shrimp. Gotcha. The shrimp gotcha. Gotcha. Man, I like the point you made of like it's important. Like one of the yeah, perfect. Procure shrimp flavor. It's yeah. also good on any type of food in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> yeah. of, I mean, so much of fishing and, and being productive on the water is knowing where to fish slow and knowing where to fish fast. And, and an area that just because you shouldn't fish it slow doesn't mean you shouldn't fish it. You know, you're, you're going to find stuff and you're, you're going to catch fish in zones. You, you might be like, I always catch one on this bank. I'm always have two or three blowups on this bank. It's, you know, quarter of a mile long. It's in the river, but it's, it's too long to slow down and really pick apart. But I know I can trolling motor down it in, in 10 minutes and to the top water plug and, and catch a fish or two, you know, and, and, and knowing where to pick a spot apart and really sit on it and park on it, whether you're sight fishing or blind casting, knowing where to work through it a little bit quicker until you maybe bump a fish or get a blow up. And then you're like, okay, this is where the school is. It's just reading those little cues and not, and not wasting your time. I feel like a lot of anglers issues are that they just get in an area that feels fishy, or maybe they got a bite and they just camp there and camp there and camp there. Like, even if I got the most aggressive bite on the very first cast in an area, if I go the, if I go ten more minutes without a bite there, I'm moving like most definitely moving. Really, three to five minutes if if I'm throwing an artificial, um, which maybe, uh, which I know it can be a downfall sometimes. But I feel like more times than not, wouldn't you agree that that could be that can help you be more productive, not not getting too married to his own. No, I agree because uh, like, let's say same example. You work a bank, you get a blow up first cast doesn't connect you throw you know 10 more times 15 more times and nothing happens there's a good chance that that might have been the only fish on that bank and he went to try and eat it and you know so a lot of times i feel like when redfish come up and try and eat the top owner and they miss they'll kind of like they like scoot off yeah they don't like it they don't they're, they're very uncomfortable with themselves <laughs> yeah yeah um so i mean it, very few times in my life have I gotten a blow up, casted 15 more times, not gotten a blow up, and then sat there for another hour and caught, you know, more than maybe two fish. Yeah. In the summer, right? Definitely. They're just so much more spread out. I mean, you'll you'll find pockets that have a lot more fish than others, but I would say, you know, 80% of the time. It, it, there's, there's, they're just so, so much more spread out. You're yeah. not gonna catch one on top water on the point, throw it there again and catch, you know, five more. Yeah, definitely. Usually. And another thing that's important about throwing a top water or any type of search bait throughout the summer is is understanding how fish move through an area. Just because you can't see them, it's important to look at satellite imagery or just get in an area to low tide, figure out where those fish are and kind of understand the path of how these fish are moving up into an area, moving up into a grass bank or grass flat, moving along a Creek onto a flat onto oyster beds. And if you can kind of fish along with those fish as they transition through a zone, you can, some fish are going to go lay up in grass at high tide, but, but a lot of the fish and, and the more, I see that more around topsoil and rice full and, and uh, figure eight, 
these fish moving up and laying up in dead end pockets still still aggressive bites and we'll still choke a top water plug but when i get into that more brackish water they still hunt really hard at high tide they'll still work banks um i think about down in the in the mid river and lower cape fear river um you know fishing these banks that were sight fishing on a high tide or on a low tide going in there and pitching baits up on them uh at a high tide where i can't see anything but all of a sudden you know if i've got bait fishing clients i got four or five rods out Mm-hmm. And at low tide, it was pods of 10, 15 fish at a time moving down a bank and getting shots at them. And all of a sudden, all five rods go off within like two minutes. You know, I know that that was just a group of fish that moved through that zone. So understanding how they're how they're working an area, um, putting into, into play what you've seen at low tide, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't at high tide, but that can just be really beneficial to, to think about when you're, when you're targeting these fish at a higher tide. Mm-hmm. I agree. So... I don't know. It's it's a lot. The blind casting. It's a lot tougher to learn because and and to to wrap your head around because there's so much unseen. Um, when it's sight fishing, you know, it, you can put a lot together pretty quickly because you can see so much of it. But mm-hmm. What do you feel like? What do you prefer to guide? Would you rather guide an epic day of topwater fishing or an epic day of sight fishing? In the summer? Yeah. Man. Uh, probably, probably an epic day of sight fishing. <laughs> the, some of those days, though, man, when it's when it's super cloudy but slick calm and you're like, oh, yeah, the topwater ride's going to be on. <laughs> yeah. That can be pretty fun, too, because the surprise of it, you know, like yeah, you said at the it, beginning. Well, the, it, so sight fishing is fun. I mean, I, I'll get, I, I agree with you. Overall, I think sight fishing is more fun just because there's nothing better than watching, seeing a redfish or, you know, yeah, seeing a redfish and watching it eat your bait, right? There's For just, sure. there's nothing better. But, um, man, just like seeing, seeing a massive redfish like start waking up behind your top water and you're like, oh, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, and smash. That's hard to beat, too. I don't that know. is I'm hard little, to beat. I'm a little torn. I think people are either addicted to the, the bite, mm-hmm. like the actual action of the fish eating, or what I think I'm addicted to is watching the fish decide to eat. So like yeah. seeing the fish doing its thing and then see the lure and like, oh, man, like that, that little split second of time of like when he kind of changes his course of action, you know, all of a sudden this new thing was introduced in front of him and he's like i'm gonna eat that whether it's a topwater plug that even that wake you haven't seen the fish but all of a sudden you see this wake up to the topwater plug like almost like that more than the blow up because it's that that little bit of anticipation is so incredible Um, yeah i'm with you man it's it's hard to be watching them eat uh i had a um i took a guy fishing a couple weeks ago and there was a redfish 70 yards down the bank that was belly crawling down and his he would come up on the bank eat something for like a couple seconds and come off and then get a little closer and come up on the bank and eat something and then come off and it was so much anticipation that's the best here it comes here it comes get, get ready get ready and uh it was like he put the fly right when the fish got i don't know 20 yards from the but he put the fly right where it needed to be and he ate it and man, we like 
we were hugging, we were giving high fives, we were having a great time. That's awesome. That's so fun, man. And so often, man, it's like there's that right amount of pregame time, if that makes sense. If you get too much of it, you blow it every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if if you don't have enough of it, you oftentimes blow it. But when you get that like sweet amount of like, all right, you see me coming on the bank. All right, all right, hold tight, hold tight. All right, get ready, cast. When it's that like five, ten seconds, it's yeah. good. But when it's that like thirty seconds to a minute of like watching them come down the bank, I don't care if it's the best fly cast you've ever seen in your entire life. They've like at that point, you know, already caught the fish ten times in their head, and then they just throw an awful cast. Whether it's you, me, a client, anybody, it's, it's so tough. Think about it. There's, yeah, it's it's a lot of time to think about it. And then usually it's something stupid too. It's like you're standing on your line. You get a cast, you're standing on your line, or it's tangled around the trolling motor. So. Yeah, very, very true. Um, but other uh, other than what did I say, top waters, and top waters, spinner baits for, for summer. Um, I'd say, you know, spinner bait is to me is more like a. Uh, Tannic water or, or brackish water type of bait for sure, but but I, uh, a bait for me that has worked really well in in kind of all situations or all uh, water clarities is just like power fishing a paddle tip. Yeah, um, I mean there's not you don't have to do anything with it. All you got to do is cast it out, hold your rod like that, and just reel it in. Slow roll it. Um, and you know the, the cool thing about the paddle tail. I mean, I guess I guess as well as the spinner bait, but probably more so the paddle tail, is you catch everything. You For catch sure. Redfish, you catch trout, you catch a lot of flounder. <laughs> or at least the paddle tail is crazy. Flounder. Um, it's so, one of the most diverse baits. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and, and you can sight fish with it. You know that that would out of the three. Uh, Paddle tail, uh, spinner bait, and top water. I would feel most comfortable sight fishing a, a paddle tail. For sure, I think the one thing you deal with and saying, let's say top water, spinner bait, paddle tail, is the amount of presence those baits have in the water. So top water being that, that's the only downfall of your paddle tail blind casting, and still it's still a great bait. Sometimes you sometimes you have too much presence. Sometimes it's spooking fish when you get too much presence. But by that I mean like a top water. I feel like has maybe a, probably a ten foot radius would that be the right term yeah around the top water 10 feet in any direction is that that's radius right yes okay sweet. <laughs> um a, a spinner bait maybe like a six five, eight foot five six yeah. foot i mean i guess i don't know it would be interesting to do like a you know put some goggles on on a pretty muddy water day and have someone cast a uh, spinner bait by and see how far away you could see the flash of the for sure on it for sure it's it, it's uh that and that's a cool bait and a lot of times people just think of it as flash but with the lateral lines that a fish has studies show that they can feel that vibration vibration as much as they can hear a topwater plug if not yeah. if not more if not hear that more or feel that more um so the topwater man it's just that it's funny that they even eat a topwater because a redfish, if you look at the way they're designed, they are not designed to eat up. I think that's why their blow-ups are so aggressive and sloppy. That's why you have them like on the chin all the time and the side of the face. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then a paddle tail would I would say maybe like two foot, three foot, and it depends on water clarity too. You know, that's a that's a average based off of you know a specific water color. But 
or water yeah. clarity, but, but, um, you know, and all those can be super effective. It's, they're all great baits, all really great baits to fish. Like Cameron said, and topwater as well. I mean, you will catch a flounder every once in a while on topwater, but not often. So that's the one fish. Black drum you're not going to catch. Have caught black drum with paddle tails. Um, yep. But I don't know. I've caught one black drum on topwater in my whole life. You've caught a black drum on topwater? One. Here? Yeah, here. I don't know if I've ever caught one on topwater. But it, it was not a monster by any means. Yeah, still crazy. I didn't even know that ever happened. I think it's crazy that it's a small one. I could imagine like a big school of floaters in Louisiana might eat a topwater. Maybe yeah. if you just let it sit still, but <laughs> that's crazy. Do you have a picture to prove it? Uh, I'll have to ask Todd. I was with Todd. You're a Todd. I mean, I believe you. I just want to throw it up here if you had it. I was going to say shoot it over to me. Um, but uh, man, summer's here. Summer's, or if not here, just around the corner. It's what are the specific flounder regulations here in North Carolina? Do you know exactly what they are? Yes, uh, I know it's one. I think one per person these days. One per person, and do we have like what is it? Eight day season, maybe. Yeah. I could be wrong. If, if, if write a comment on the YouTube video or write a comment on the. Uh, well, yeah, just leave a comment on the YouTube video if you know what it is. I, I've read it and I, I've completely forgotten um, what the season is. So. Um, and is there something about grouper being closed for like eight years or something like that? Someone was saying. That's a rumor. That's a rumor. It's not real. That might come true, um, but that I've heard the same thing. But I I don't know if there's if that's actually a discussion that's happening or not. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, man, thanks for hopping on here and chatting with me tonight, guys. Thank you all so much for being um, part of the Eastern Current family thankful for your patience for this podcast that you've been waiting quite a quite a while for i looked at youtube and i have not put anything on youtube in 55 days and that's going to change um it's been a very very busy very very busy time but um we are here to bring y'all some more good fishing content and and we're really going to up the production and the quality of the podcast as well as the youtube stuff as we move into our new space um over the next couple months but um as all is grainy do what are you trying to say my video is grainy? Yeah, Cameron's video is grainy. I had to keep the his video. I was on a side by side video the whole time because his lighting is so terrible. But that's why you should just listen to the podcast. But <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, it wouldn't be quite as bad. You'd hear these audio levels changing like crazy because I can't sit still. But that's also something we're going to take care of over the next few months as we move into our new space, guys. As always, thank you so much. Let us know what y'all want to hear us talk about throughout this season, and uh, we will see y'all in the next episode later.